0: This evening we are looking at the second in our series of studies on the kings of the kingdom. Last week we looked at the first king, King Saul. He started out well, but his ending was tragic. This evening we are looking at uh, King David. Many, many chapters in the Old Testament are given to him. He started out well and he also ended well though he had uh, a couple of hiccups in between and uh, he made some mistakes in the middle but he died of old age. So there was no question of he dying any tragic death. The prophets during this period was uh, Prophet Samuel and also later on Prophet Nathan. By the time David came into the scene both Saul and uh, Samuel had their differences, their relationship was estranged and then later on you have Nathan coming on the scene. So this is spanning a long time and uh, when you're looking at King David's life, definitely we cannot really do full justice to his life in an hour session, but we're just going to have a brief overview of some of the good things that we see in his life, some of the mistakes that he made, the lessons that we can learn from that, some uh, uh, character lessons that we can learn from his life and also some very simple practical lessons that we can learn. So that's going to be a broad outline for our study this evening trying to put into a nutshell the life of a man who lived well. Now if you notice there were many years that transpired between the time David was anointed to be king and when he actually ascended the throne. Remember when the Lord rejected uh, Saul, David was appointed but as long as Saul was still alive, David could not be the king and that's why there was a long gap and Saul was out for his life and then during that period he was running away and he was waiting. It was not easy time, it was not an easy time. Though there were plenty of opportunities that came into his hand and his own friend said, hey, this is the opportunity God is giving you, kill this guy, then you will become king. But that's not what he did. He waited. He waited for God's appointed time. Such an important truth, isn't it? He made that choice. Saul, if you notice, was impatient. Samuel didn't arrive on the scene, so he said, I will do this. God told him to totally destroy the Amalekites, he said, I'll keep the good things, you know, for myself. And then he said, no, it is really for the Lord. So the choices that both of them made, made a big, big difference for their future. So this is an important truth that we must learn. Both of them started off small. Remember, we looked at Saul and he said, who am I? I'm from the smallest tribe. And when it comes to David, we find that when uh, uh, Samuel was looking for that person from the sons of Jesse, he thought this guy, this guy, this guy, all those uh, outwardly uh, good guys have all passed by. And then finally he is there anybody else? And he says, yeah, there's a little fellow, he's looking after the sheep. So the starting point, of both these individuals were very, very small. And insignificant but they had a divine destiny to be great men of God one fell short but the other fulfilled the call so their choices under pressure revealed their true character Saul was always taking shortcuts compromising caring too much about what others thought of him and trying to help God but David on the other hand if you notice, fixed his heart on God alone. As a result, every choice that he made was under that filter. The filter of God I want to do your will. If you notice in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 8, this is what God spoke to one of his descendants and said, Yet you have not kept you have not been like my servant David who kept his my commandments who followed me with all his heart, to do only that which was right in my sight. This is God's declaration about David. So he made that choice. Everything that, the choices that he made, it had to be under the filter. Is this what God wants me to do? Yes, there were times he slipped up on that and he made mistakes and then he came back again. So as we start off our study on King... uh, David this evening ask yourself what type of a king are you? Are you solved? Choices are there you know or would you be like David putting the right filter to make sure that the everyday daily decisions daily choices small or great is under the filter of Lord I want to glorify your name. So let's look at David some background information about him who was David. The meaning of his name is beloved. What is his ancestry and family life? In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 12, we find that David was the eighth son of Jesse. He was the youngest of the sons, you know, Nothing is said about his mother. We know that his family came from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. In Ruth, 17 to 22 we read that Jesse was the grandchild of Boaz and Ruth making David Ruth and Boaz's great grandson okay and this would mean that the story of the book of Ruth takes place near the end of the time of the judges so even if you look at the whole incidents in the book of Ruth we find how God sovereignly worked things out Ruth, Boaz and then you find from that lineage comes David. This is all from God's supernatural, sovereign planning of David's life. When and where did he live? His hometown was city of Bethlehem. This was later called as the City of David because most famous person in this particular place was David. And later on, if you notice, Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem. <laughs> okay. Now David lived not long after the end of the period of the Judges. So this means that during the period of the Judges, this was the darkest times in Israel's history. The verse that comes again and again, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no government, no rule of law, people did as they pleased. And then finally, they decide we also want a king like the other guys. You know, that is how life was, and that was the background of David's uh, atmosphere when he grew up. Soon after that period, when was he born? Calculation-wise, they would say that he would be have been born sometime around 1040 B.C. And this date is likely reached by tracking back, you know, the Bible doesn't mention that he was born in this particular year, but tracking back the kings of Judah and Israel from their countries' respective exiles to Assyria and Babylon in 727 BC and 597 BC. So looking back from those dates and tracing back, before this period, this king, before this period, this king, before this period, this king, so tracking back we will find the date set at around 1040 BC. Now what was his training and occupation? He was basically a shepherd boy. Okay. We think of David as you know, the king and you know, we think of him as a general but we notice that he actually started out as a shepherd boy. Insignificant beginnings. Don't despise you know, the small beginnings. 1 Samuel 16, and verse 11 he says. say, so he asked, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep, tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. Then in chapter 17, verse 20, we read, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded out and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. When his father says, hey, take some food to your brothers, he makes sure that the sheep are looked after because he is a shepherd. He gives it to another shepherd to look after and then moves on. So by profession, if you were to say, he was really a shepherd. This is how he introduces himself also in 1 Samuel 17. 34 and 35. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That is how he introduces himself. But he also speaks about how when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the fold, he went after it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on him, he seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. So he speaks about, he looks back on the humble beginnings. But he also looks back with gratitude about how God had kept him safe from these enemies, the wild animals, and looking into the future, he was able to acknowledge the God who has been with him in the past is the one who's going to be with him in the future as well. Look back into our lives this evening, how we started out in our walk with God. Look back into our lives and uh, look at how God has molded us. From humble beginnings, small beginnings, you know, but as we grow bigger, as God prospers, let it never get into our heads. David always had the filter, David encouraged himself in God. You also find that he was a musician as well as an armor bearer. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Verses 16 to 21, when we find the passage about the evil spirit from the Lord coming and troubling uh, Saul, he asks his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And in verse 18, it says, One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man, and the Lord is with, is with him. So, Saul sent messengers, you know, to Jesse and said, Send me a son, David, who is with the sheep, you know, who is with the sheep, okay? And that was his entry, if you were to say, into Saul's life. Started off as a musician, then he also becomes a armor bearer. In verse 21, it says David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. And then he rises up to be a general. in one Samuel 1816, we read, "All Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. when he's finally made the king of the undivided kingdom, Judah and Israel together. You know all the people you know, rallied around him because he was a good army general. We also find that he was the king. <coughs> in 2 Samuel 2-4 we find that the men of Judah came to Hebron and they, they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. And in Second Samuel 5 verses 2 and 3 we read the people saying in the past while Saul was king over us, you are the one who led Israel on their military campaigns and the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. And when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. First, people of Judah say, you are our king. Then people of Israel also come together and say, you are our king. So David then becomes the king of the United United, uh, Kingdom. Then his place in history. David is mentioned in the Bible 983 times. Whoever has done this calculation seems to be very specific. 983 is an odd figure. But this only goes to show how many times David is mentioned in scripture. And David was one of the several individuals God made a covenant with. God has made a covenant, you know. I mean thinking about a covenant, it's something that is binding. Okay? God made a covenant with Abraham, God makes a covenant with David and the covenant that God made with, made with David and his descendants is seen in 2 Samuel 7 verses 8 to 17 and it is known as the Davidic covenant. The key features being God's continual protection of David being like a father to him and preserving his kingly line throughout history. Yes, there were bad kings that came along but the Lord says, I made my covenant with you, your line shall not end. And from that line then comes the Lord Jesus who is indeed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Forty chapters in 1 Samuel through to 1 Kings deal with David and many more Chronicles and Kings also given additional information about David's life and these chapters are filled with rich information about David's life, you know, both his weaknesses as well as his strengths. The Bible is very, you know, doesn't cover up anything. It shows a person as he really is, and we are thinking of so much of material about David. This is roughly the same amount of material as that which covers the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay, putting all these people together, that much information. David's information is so much more. So, in other words, Sina. David was close to the heart of God and God made sure that his life is recorded for us in history. His life is recorded for us in the scriptures so that we can learn from his life from the good things that he did as well as the mistakes that he made and how he responded to that. He did not know. Uh, rebel against God, but when God pointed out his mistakes, he was willing to forsake, repent and turn to him. That is why it speaks about a man after God's own heart. His special trait was definitely that he was a good musician. He wrote a, wrote a lot of Psalms as well, you know, music, words was in his heart, maybe in a sitting looking after the sheep, you know, songs came into his mind. We speak about the Lord is my shepherd, a favorite psalm of many people. You find, you know, words came in as he spent his time with God. Music came into his as he wrote these. And this was, the book of Psalms was basically the songbook of the Jews as they sang and came into worship. So David played an important role in the history of Israel. You also have the Star of David. The Star of David is made up of two equilateral triangles forming a six-pointed star. A five-pointed star is supposed to be the sign of Satan. The six-pointed star is the sign of the Star of David and this is used by Jews all over the world. Now there are many explanations of the symbolism of the Star of David. One is that in both Greek and Hebrew The letter D is shaped like a triangle. So thus the star would represent the two letter D's, the first and the last letters of David's name. Now, the star has been found in the ruins of a synagogue in Capernaum dating from the 3rd century, but it is definitely much older than that. The Jews, by the way, were forced to wear the star of David in the Middle Ages, when, again, when they were persecuted in Germany by Hitler. So this was like for them a symbol of you know, hatred but they wore it as a symbol of honor and not of shame. And even in recent times when you read about all that's happening in the Middle East you have people in Israel saying we are wearing this star as a symbol, as a badge of honor and not of shame let's move ahead and learn about his weaknesses. Number one, we are very familiar with his adultery with Bathsheba in Second Samuel chapter 11. Now if you notice, you know, one thing, one mistake that a big guy makes, you know, stands out. As soon as we speak about David, two things stand out, David and Goliath we remember. But we also remember David and Bathsheba. You know. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful if we are in the public eye or if you are not in the public eye you know the wrong the mistake is always highlighted so it is better that we are careful and don't make those mistakes lest people remember only that you know and if you notice adultery led to murder where he actually goes and murders Uraya you know but she was you know relation and if you notice any murders and the scheming that he does in order to do this you know planning step by step, step by step, you know, make him drunk, put him in the forefront you know, and then finally make sure that he is killed. You know. If only that first thing about he going and walking on the top on his balcony when he should have been going to war. If he had not done that, if he, had, he was actually in the place where he was supposed to be, all these repercussions would not have been there. But praise God, after all that, there were a lot of times in which he still continued to live in that sinful you know, state. You know, there were the psalms that have been written which speaks about the turmoil in his soul at that particular time. And then finally God sends Nathan and introduces through that parable, of what he has done. You know. And when David is upset, you know, he says, Nathan responds and says, hey, you are the guy who did the same thing that that guy did in that parable. And then he turns around and Psalm 51 is there for us. So just as much as we speak about you know, David's adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, we must always remember Psalm 51 where he Pours out himself before God in repentance. Okay, so don't think only of the negative. It is easy, even in today's world, when we read about hey, this particular leader did this, this particular leader has you know fallen into sin, you know, we may read those things, but oftentimes we don't remember, we don't read what happened after that of how they repented, of how they turned back, and the focus is only on the negative, and maybe with our forwards around we may you know forward that to people but we don't stop and think about the damage that we are doing because the second part of how he repented and turned around is not often (coughs) spoken about thirdly we find that he was a poor father yes there were these good things we will learn about it you know but when it came to his family (coughs) you know he was not really able to Discipline them. That was a major problem with uh, uh, David. If you notice in 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, we read about Adonijah. Okay, Adonijah. It says he put himself forward and said, "I will be king." So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. But it says in verse uh, 6, his father never rebuked him by asking, "Why do you behave as you do?" Okay. Why do you behave as you do when, you know, he rebels as it were and says, I'm going to be king. You know, that doesn't say anything about it at all. Okay? And in 2 Samuel chapter 13 verses 20 and 21, it says, you know, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart and Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Here you find you know, Amnon having relations with Tamar and uh, Absalom knows about it. David knows about it. In verse 21 we read, when King David heard of this, he was furious. That's all it says. He was furious. In the earlier incident with Adonijah, he never rebuked him. And here when he reads about this, and. You know, uh, relationship, wrong relationship, incest that has taken place in his, within his own family, within his own children. He's just only furious about it and he does nothing about it. And there were several other incidents as well when it comes to his relationship with Absalom and others. And, uh, when it came to managing his family, he was not really able to do it. He did a good job <laughs> managing the world. But when it came to managing his family, he messed up. It is important you know, that we learn to practice what we preach in our homes. It is a difficult situation because 24-7 you are there. But this is what God expects of our lives. He messed up, but later on also there are amends that he makes. Even when it comes to Joab, you know, he... Uh, uh, gives in a lot of cases but finally at the end he warns Solomon about him in his lifetime you know he was able to do for the nation but in his home his own home yes there were so many children so many responsibilities you know but still as a father as the head he did definitely you know, uh, made many mistakes fourthly <coughs> Somewhere along the line, pride entered into his heart. This is dangerous. When you are doing well, when things are going well with you, there is a possibility to think it's all because of me. And that's what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 24. It says "The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now oftentimes when you read this passage we say God incited you know, David and then God punishes David for taking the census. You know, how can you know, that be justice you may think. But if you notice for the parallel account of this in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 21 it says Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Okay. So it was Satan who moved Israel. David to make that census and God used Satan to check about the choices that David was going to make, you know, whether he was going to depend on God, that God is the one who has given him victory, God is the one who has given him all the numbers and the people or whether there was that possibility that he thought it was all because of him. So God is the one who is sovereign. So when it says God incited, you know, God incited in terms of God allowed Satan to test him and test primarily to check whether he was a proud person or a humble person. So God allowed Satan to tempt him and David sinned, revealing his pride. And then God dealt with David accordingly, because remember. It's a testing that comes away. How you respond, the choices that you make is definitely important. So don't allow pride to get in. When the Lord blesses you, never think it's because of your blood, sweat and tears. Give credit, give glory to God. Don't think of making, you know, what shall we say, numbers. You know? Don't play by statistics. Don't play by, in today's world, the social media followers, numbers that you have. You say, oh, I'm doing great. No, it's not on the numbers. It's on the question of obedience to God. Fifthly (coughs) you find that he didn't check or punish Joab. In 2nd Samuel chapter 3 and verse 28 onwards we read later when David heard about this he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner son of Ner. If you notice Joab and David. Joab was the general and uh, when Joab murders Abner, he thinks basically that Abner is going to be given the chance or he wants to remove everybody who you know, uh, could be uh, in that position to be a general. So he murders him, Joab murders Abner. But his response, David's response to Job's murder of Abner is very curious. He mourned for Abner. He emphasized his innocence, that is, David's innocence in the affair, you know. But if you notice in 2 Samuel 3, 39, he says that the sons of Zeruiah were too strong for him, even though he was the king of Israel. He says, hey, Joab was too strong for me. Hey, David is the king, you know. Why could David not simply have killed Joab or removed him as the commander? It would appear that Joab at the head of the army was in some ways a threat to David and the loyalty of the army was to Joab more than to David. So there's this tension of position over here and David somehow seems to have a weak area in that that he's not able to make a decisive step when there's a threat to his position immediately he tries to give in. Later on also you notice when it comes to Absalom when he threatened you know he took over he just walks away from that. Many years later David's son Absalom (coughs) revolted against his father and Absalom appointed his cousin Amasa who was Joab's cousin to command his army and then when the rebellion was put down David attempted to replace Joab as his army commander with Amasa but when Joab found out about it, he killed this guy. Okay, Why? Because Joab didn't want anybody else, you know, because he wanted to have the control. So David's relationship with Joab was a very complex one. In one way, they had a working together relationship because they were leading Israel for 40 years of David's king as uh, reign as king. Joab was a skilled and highly successful army commander who was fiercely loyal to David. David trusted him to act in the best interests of both David and the kingdom. Yet, yet, Joab was not above defying David if it meant maintaining his own position. At least twice he killed men that David had thought to appoint over the army in place of Joab, and David felt powerless to do anything about Joab's insubordination. But Joab finally made a deadly mistake Solomon was David's heir apparent but another of David's sons remember we spoke about Adonijah who was ambitious and he says I'm going to be king so he gathered the support of some of the leading men of his realm, including Joab including Joab and when David heard of this rebellion he had Solomon crowned as a result you know the thought of Joab that he would make an Adonijah king, he would be his general with him. That was stopped. Okay. Again, at this time, while David himself did not punish those who sided with Adonijah, he did leave with instructions to Solomon to deal with them. In other words, when he was alive he didn't do anything about that, he didn't take any decisions, but he did leave instructions with Solomon. In fact, he made it clear to Solomon that Joab should not die in peace. And ultimately Solomon had Joab put to death. (coughs) So certain ways his weakness was, when it came to a situation, I was not able to make those tough decisions because, you know, there was somehow that attachment to people on one side and also on the other hand, you know, he found that those guys seem to be more powerful. If in case, you know, he said anything, you know, maybe his position would, you know, be at stake. Whatever reasons, he didn't take any strong decisions, which is important, you know, for a leader. When it comes to, you know, situations that demand action, don't put it off. You know, yes, it may be hard. Yes, it may be, you know, it costs you something. But you know, there's the right thing to be done. It has to be done. Similarly, we also find that he was too quick to judge. In 2 Samuel 16, we read about Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth. You, know, you find that he, uh, he decides to think that he is the boss, that Ziba is the boss, you know, that he owns all the property and he is waiting for Mephibosheth to die. Mephibosheth was a crippled guy. He was the son of Jonathan, but David comes suddenly on the scene. He wants to reward him and as a result, you know, all the property, everything that belongs to, you know, uh, uh, Saul's lineage, he said, hey, this is yours, but Ziba thought, hey, that's all going to come to him, he's waiting for Mephibosheth to die. And as a result, he's not able to see through, you know, the scheming of Ziba. Because later on, if you notice, you know, when uh, Absalom, you know, takes over and saw uh, David has run away, we find in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 4 it says, When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Zeba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred cakes of raisins, a hundred cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. And The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, today the Israelites will restore to me, my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba says, "I humbly bow." You know, Ziba is now playing his cards, and he's saying, "Look here, you know, he thinks he's going to be the king. Technically, it was he was crippled; you cannot come along." And Ziba made sure that he was not going to come along with David. But here, he presents another picture that Ziba is the good guy, Mephibosheth is the bad guy, and whatever trauma that David himself was going through at that time. You know, he was not able to make the wise decision, he was not able to have discernment where he now then says, okay, you know, what belongs to that line now as king, I'm transferring it to you. This is why again we have a lack of discernment. When finally he meets up with you know, Mephibosheth, when he meets up with him in verse, Second Samuel chapter 19. Verse 26, you know, he says, My lord the king, since I am your servant, I am lame, I said I will have my donkey saddled, I will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table, so do what is right. Okay. And the king said to me, said to him, why say more, okay, and I order you and Ziva to divide the land. Now, lack of discernment, you know, he's able to see through what Ziva has done, Mephibosheth makes it clear, but he's still not able to fully make a wise choice. So what really belonged to Mephibosheth, from hundred percent, first he said, okay, hundred percent from me, I'm giving to Ziva. Now when Mephibosheth gives him the other side of it, you know, he doesn't say, look, I made a mistake, you know, Ziba, you are the trickster, so I'm going to take it from you and give it back. He says, okay now, settle 50-50, you know, you are happy, he is happy, let's settle the matter. Mephibosheth, of course, was not bothered because in verse 30, he says, let him take everything, now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Mephibosheth's heart was right, it was not in the material goods, Ziba's, heart was wrong, it wasn't the material goods but David did not have the discernment to find that out. Now those are some of the, you know, his weak spots and we must remember that the scripture paints this uh, uh, real life, you know, incidents in the life of these individuals who are great in faith but also who had their weak spots to help us to understand that they were human like us. And if they were human like us, yes, they made mistakes. But that doesn't absolve us of mistakes. But we learn from their mistakes, how they overcame those mistakes, how they pressed on with God. And that is what we are looking at now. What were David's strengths? (laughs) First thing we notice in 1 Samuel chapter (coughs) 17, famous story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. If you notice in verse 17, 1 Samuel 17 verse 26, You know he's come with food packets for his brothers. Brothers are all you know, sitting in their tents, afraid. Here's this giant hollering around. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's a little fellow making this declaration, but seeing things in the right perspective, the perspective of faith. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm sure you've done studies about this whole incident. and you know, there's so much spiritual truths in these. Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you to my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, he is not boasting and saying, I can do this, I will do this, I will show you. No, no, his full focus is on God. His faith is in God so that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. That was faith. Against all odds, not looking at the circumstance, not looking at the situation, but looking at God. That is what faith is, isn't it? It's the object of our faith that really, really makes the difference. And for David, as a little boy, starting off on his journey of faith, his faith was in the right direction. No matter whatever enemies may come, my God is far, far greater. And that's the assurance for us the scripture gives us, isn't it? The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And if we believe that, if we have our faith in that, then we are not afraid of the enemy. We are not afraid of what the enemy can do because the Lord in us is far, far greater. Let's have that faith in the Lord, not look at the circumstance, not look at the enemy and say, oh, the enemy is so powerful, the enemy made me do it, the devil made me do it. No, it is our faith in God that wins the victory. Secondly, his compassion. In 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 to 13, when he succeeds in a, in a, or when he takes over as the king, David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? To him, I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake, remember, David and Jonathan were good friends, very good friends. You know, and then Ziba answered, "Yes, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. He is lame in both feet. Unheard of, abandoned because he is a cripple. But David's concern for Jonathan, his friend." reaches out and verse 5 says so King David had him brought from Lodibar from the house of Makir son of Amuel and makes him to sit at his throne. Now if you notice in that culture at that time when a new king came over he made sure that he killed all the family members of the previous king so that nobody will dare succeed and you find that in the history of Israel. So maybe maybe Mephibosheth is sitting down, oh, I'm crippled, I cannot run, you know, when somebody is going to attack me. So he's in a small, unknown place, you know, but when David calls for him, you know, he's definitely afraid. But when David says, hey, look here, I'm going to show compassion. I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to show some compassion. I'm going to make sure that you'll be treated well and you will sit at my table and eat of the food from my table. And the scripture tells us that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and he always ate at the king's table. That's his compassion, his heart for people who on one side were close to him. On the other hand, also one who was not able to do much. His giving was to those who were not able to pay him back. And that's what true giving and compassion is all about. He didn't give because he expected something in return. but he was willing to give because he loved Jonathan. Thirdly we find his respect for authority. His respect for authority couple of passages you find in 1 Samuel chapter 24 verses 4 to 7 the men who were with uh, uh, David said this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you I will give you enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Here is Saul sleeping. His people says, hey this is the time. Go kill him. Take over. But all that he does is just go and cut off a small portion of Saul's robe. And verse 5 says, afterward David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul he knew hey it's not yet my time he's still the king I can't usurp authority I can't say God has made me king so I'm going to kill you no no I'll wait for my time he waited for a long time and that's true genuine respect for authority God has placed so-and-so in leadership my responsibility is to obey that person who is in leadership and if you notice in today's world sad to say there's not much respect for authority you know there's more of usurping of authority more of wanting to be the leader not willing to be the follower and to learn but the simple principle in leadership is unless you are a follower first you can never really be a true leader here you find in this in David he followed after God made sure that he respected the authority of Saul who was still <coughs> king. <coughs> then you find also he was a repentant person in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 when David uh, meets up with Nathan or Nathan meets up with David in verse 13 we read then David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord I have sinned against the Lord and Psalm 51 is a Psalm that he writes in repentance when he recognizes and the Spirit of God speaks to his heart when God speaks to our heart and says hey this is what you have done is wrong you know, a repented heart says I have sinned whereas Saul, he says I have not sinned you know, I did only this you know, for the Lord's sake you know, these are the good things for the sacrifice he was not willing when, Saul, when Samuel confronted Saul to admit that he had sinned but David's heart that's the tender heart of a person who's walk, walking with God. The repentant heart, when sin is pointed out, instead of saying, "No, no, no, no," and I' have not done it," or covering it up, you know, repenting and says, "I have sinned." That's a heart that pleases God, and that's why God calls David a person after his own heart. Ask ourselves even this evening as the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts and they say this is wrong, this is not right. How do we respond? Do we justify? Do we rationalize? Or do we admit before God and say, I have sinned, I have sinned. Fifthly, we find his humility. Constantly the whole book of Psalms is full of uh, humility. Prayers of a person who has a proper perspective, when you are in a difficult situation, confidence that it is God who hears, God is the one who is able to save. Just an example in Psalm 86 verse 1 onwards we read, Hear me Lord and answer me, for I am poor and needy, guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God, have mercy on me Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant Lord for I put my trust in you. We do not know what particular situation he was in in Psalm 86 but here's a person who is willing to come before God. You are in a desperate situation, you are the king. Yes, you go through definitely uh, a different uh, decisions that you need to make. There are different enemies that are attacking you. Who do you go to? Humility coming definitely before God and acknowledging God as the one Who is the master? Even though you're in the top position, there's one above you. That is what humility acknowledges. I'm not the king. I'm not the boss. There's one above me. Number six, prayer and praise. Psalms again are full of that, isn't it? Psalm 17 speaks about hear me, hear me, help me. My please, just listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. Let my vindication come before you acknowledging that God is the one who is going to vindicate him. Whatever situation he is going through, God is the one who is sovereign. And then his prayer is coming before God and verse 15 of that psalm, it says, As for me, I will be vindicated. I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. In other words, there is the prayer as he comes before God, giving a petition to him and as he ends that Psalm, often times this is the, uh, the, the way he deals in all the Psalms. It starts off with a problem but ends with praise, starts off with a prayer to God, crying out to God but ends with prayer and uh, praise and assurance that God has answered. God has definitely answered his prayer. <coughs> if you notice in 2nd Samuel chapter 22, David sang, to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul he said the Lord is my rock my fortress my deliverer my God is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield the horn of my salvation the Lord is my stronghold my refuge and my savior from violent people you save me I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I've been saved from my enemies There. Waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. He comes before God and says, "Lord, you, know, you saved me." This is a psalm that he writes you know, looking back and you know, on all those years of wandering, looking back on all those years when he's been you know running away from Sauls and you know, a fleeing you know, and Sauls souls, and know, running after him to kill him and in you know, assurance that God has protected him all those years look back into your own life this evening can you look back with assurance and say Lord you're the one who has been with me there were situations physical maybe spiritual maybe emotional maybe when the Lord has protected you the Lord has took you through different different tough situations in life you know learn to come before God in praise and thanksgiving to say Lord if it was not for you where would I be? Number seven self-control in 2nd Samuel 16 we read about how when David approached Bahurim a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out to him his name was Shimei son of Gera. he cursed him as he came out and he pelted David and all his king's officials with stones okay <laughs> here it is you know he curses and Shimei says, Shime says, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed on the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son, Absalom. You have become a ruin because you are a murderer. Hey, look at this. David is running away because Absalom has taken his place You know he has usurped the throne from him and this guy who is from the Saul side you know he uses that opportunity to throw stones and curse him you know but what did the king do what did the king do you know the king said what does this have to do with you you sons of Zeruiah if he's cursing because the lord said to him curse david who can ask why do you do this you know Then David said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. Look at the heart of David over here how much of a self-control he needs to have you know if you were in this position on one side you're going through so much of intense agony that your son has thrown you off from the in a kingship and as you're going you know here's this fellow you know unknown nobody throwing stones at you and cursing you you could have become so much bitter but even in this situation you recognize god is still in charge Just as much as, you know, when Saul was running after him, he recognized God is in charge. Appointed time, things will happen. Even here, the self-control of David teaches us so much. When his enemies are attacking him, and his own son has attacked him, you know, he still says, God will do something good from all this. Yes, this is a negative thing. Yes, it is a calamity, but God will make everything work together for good. That was the assurance that David lived, and that is why. He was called a person after God's own heart. Whatever opposition came, he still recognized God was in charge. So what are the character lessons that we can <laughs> learn from his life? Number one, his willingness to acknowledge his mistakes. It is not that David did not make mistakes. We learned about the mistakes that he made. But you know, he was willing to acknowledge his mistakes. And in Psalm 51 and verse 3, David's confession says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me, always before me. When you are confronted, you've done wrong, he says, Yes, I have sinned. That's the character of a, a person who pleases God. When he says, I have done wrong. Not to cover up, but to admit. Admit is the first step isn't it even when it comes to our salvation the first step is to admit we are sinners that we need god and in our growth process also that continues to be the first step to say admit that we need him admit that we have you know, fallen admit that we have sinned and god gives us the assurance if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us secondly his humility to recognize that he was weak humility to recognize that he was weak in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 we read David found strength in the Lord his God David found strength in the Lord his God when David was tasked to destroy the Amalekites he recognized his weakness and allowed God to take over and this is something that you know, is so very important when we are weak We acknowledge God then we are strong and that's what we find in David his willingness to acknowledge that he can't do it that enabled him to find strength in the Lord are you depending upon your own strength this evening are you depending upon past experiences past victories or are you willing to admit Lord I am weak I can't do this but you are the one who is able to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Thirdly, courage to step up in challenging situations. Courage to step up in challenging situations. When it comes to David uh, David and Goliath, that's a classic example. Challenging situation. Brother's whole army is shivering, terrified. Who is this big giant? They're not even willing to come out of their tents. But David confronts them. He's willing to step up. And that is what Goliath was so very surprised and upset. What is this little fellow trying to do? Where did he get his courage from? Okay. This is why David is called as the greatest giant slayer of all time. Because he was able to step up to this tough and challenging situation. When no other person was willing to do it, he stepped up. And the courage was not his own. His courage was in the Lord. Yes, we all face courage in uh, <coughs> tough situations, challenging situations. Often you know, as the phrase comes in, who will bell the cat first? You know, who will take that first step? You know, everybody says, not me, not me, I can't do it. But David was the brave guy, the courageous guy. He knew that this guy is you know, insulting his God and he couldn't stand it. He was willing to step up, stand up for what he believed in. Fourthly, ability to endure troublemakers and annoying people with patience and this we see when we just learned about Shimei when he's running away from you know, Absalom David Shimei curses him throws stones at him you know but he's willing to endure here's the guy who's annoying you know here's the guy who you know is uh, uh, upsetting him so much, you know. But still, he keeps his cool. We will all face annoying people, people who seem like they were designed to get on us, on our nerves. How do you respond to them? How do we respond to them? You know? Can you think of individuals who are getting on your nerves? You know, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your office, in you know, a, in your place of work? You know? How do you respond? Self-control. That's what we learn from David. Number five, he had a strong passion and a love for God. David put his passion in God. When he was still a young guy looking after the sheep, he did this job wholeheartedly. He didn't say, look here now, why should I be a shepherd? I want to do something else. My brothers are all in the army. I want to go there. No, no. His job as a shepherd boy, he did this job. Faithfully. And this task was God's way of preparing David for the big battle God was on David's side every day when he guarded his sheep and David stayed faithful to God this is how God gave him exposure for a battle not with people but with the wild animals God trained him from that and his experience with lions and bears gave him the confidence to kill Goliath David had a passion and a love for God and this became greater and greater you know and uh, when he became king God used him to fulfill his purposes number six here is strength to change David knew that the only constant thing in this world is change and he didn't want to settle for any less this is why in Psalm 51 and verse 10 we read create in me a pure heart, O oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Search me, O oh God. You know, he was willing for change. He does not say, don't show me anything. He says, no, I want to put you to put your search light on my life, my inner life. Show me my true self. Why? Because he wanted to change. Oftentimes, people are not willing to change. People are not willing to listen to people who want to help them to change. They are so not just complacent but they don't want to change and that as a result their character never changes. Let's learn from David to be willing to change. A couple of practical lessons from his life. Number one never judge by appearance. If you notice right from the very beginning you know, in that passage we read God does not look upon you know, the outward person but God looks into the heart. You know. David, ruddy little guy, you know, not king material as compared to you know Saul, tall, dark, and handsome. But you know, the Lord says, don't judge by appearance. Looking at David, nobody would have thought, hey, this is going to be King David who did exploits for God, a man after God's own heart. But God knows your heart. So maybe externally by appearance you may think, who am I? I don't really look great, you know. But God is not looking on the externals. Don't focus on the externals. Focus on the internal. Similarly, even when it comes to people, don't judge by appearance. God is at work in their lives. You don't know what God is doing, you know. So don't come to conclusions. Don't jump to conclusions because of something that they have said or done. Secondly, Just because no one did it, it does not mean that it cannot be done, okay? There is always somebody who has to do it first. Classic example here of David and Goliath. Day after day, Goliath has been shouting. Nobody has been willing to step up to Goliath. David could have said, hey, that's not my job. David could have said, nobody has done it, why should I be bothered? No. Just because nobody did it, it does not mean that it cannot be done. And even when he went up to King Saul, Saul tried to dissuade him, saying that he is too young to take on such a seasoned uh, uh, person, a seasoned warrior as it were. But he was willing to recognize just because it has never been done before. It can be done. And it can be done with... Five stones and out of the five stones just one did the job, okay. So don't put things into a box and say, hey, it's never been done before, it'll never be done. And this is the sad reason why people don't really progress, you know. They are not willing to think outside the box. They're not willing to think outside the box, you know. <coughs> If you notice, his willingness to think outside the box also comes in. When Saul is running after David, now David says, where can I go? How can I go? You know, how can I hide myself? You know, so he thinks outside the box and goes and stays with the enemy, the Philistines. You know, and how does he stay there? It says, he, David changed his speech before their eyes and feigned insanity before them. He scribbled on the doors of his gate and let his saliva run down upon his beard strange thing strange thinking outside the box but that saved him his quick thinking caused the Philistines to disregard him and his life was spared so in life there is always a solution but it may not be the obvious one learn to think outside the box and good leaders learn to think outside the box for solutions uh, not to problems that they face number four be emotional (coughs) Throughout his life, David expressed his emotion through song and our weeping. Even though he was a celebrated warrior, David was not ashamed to show his humanity. And like David, we must give expression to our feelings as well, whether it was tears on one side, whether it was a joy and dance on the other side. You know. He was willing to express his emotions. Number five, take the moral and more honorable choice. Take the moral and the more honorable choice. When there were so many situations in, in which it appeared as if, you know, he could do this wrong of killing Saul and then he would become king. He says, no, the moral and the honorable choice is I don't do that. I trust God, I wait for God to make his final appointment, You know that is the moral choice that he made. And there are times when circumstances present us with opportunities to take revenge against those who have wronged us and it may be very tempting to take them or there may be opportunities where you know it says shortcuts to get our job done, you know, give a bribe, get your job done, do this corrupt thing, get your job done, you know, it is convenient but no, Take the moral and the honorable choice. Number six, hold your friends close, but your enemies even closer. Abner was Saul's right hand man, and instead of supporting his son Ishbosheth after Saul fell in battle, he continued to fight against David. Nevertheless, when Abner later decided to leave Ishbosheth and support David, David accepted him unquestioningly. You know, he was willing to accept an enemy, as it were, into his ranks. You know, he has a guy who says, I'm going to follow you. The past of that individual didn't matter. You know, he says, okay, I'm going to take you into my arms. Number seven, never forget about God. Never forget about God. When David was finally established as a king in Jerusalem, you know, he was not content with his own comforts. He wanted to build... A temple for God ultimately of course God told him that he would not be the one who would build it but his son in other words you know he said hey I'm comfortable I want to do something for God so don't forget God when God has given you everything don't think that it is now yours stewardship recognizes that all that we have doesn't really belong to us it really belongs to God and we need to ask God God what do I need to do with it Number eight. Don't worry about what others may think. When he brought the ark back into Jerusalem, you find he was dancing around, and Queen Michael his wife found this distasteful, and she criticised him. You know, she criticised him. You know, and then he says, even if he were to demean himself further, he said he was confident that the onlookers would honor it. He was willing to rejoice before the Lord. He was not bothered about what people will think. And this is an important truth in our service for God. Oftentimes, you know, it is dependent on what people will say, what people will think, you know, and we may restrain ourselves. But no, don't worry about what others will think, you know. Extravagant love, like, you know, Mary poured out her, you know, her, uh, perfume before the Lord, wiped it with her hair, not bothered about what people will think. That is what genuine service is all about. Number nine, accept rebuke. When Nathan confronted him, he was willing to respond and says, yes, I have sinned. Number ten, don't get stuck trying to undo the past. Don't get stuck trying to undo the past. When, if you notice, finally after David and Bathsheba, the first child, you know, fell mortally ill, David prayed to God, fasted and slept on the ground during another you know, child's illness. And when the child died a week later, David was remarkably calm. And in response to his servant's curiosity, David explained, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, you know, for I said, who knows, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and the child will live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? In other words, he says, yes, when there was the opportunity, I prayed, but now it's over. So I'm not going to live in the past and say, why? I'm going to press on into the future. David knew that his child was gone forever and he chose then to focus on comforting his wife. There's a time for prayer. There's a time for mourning. But there's also a time to resume living. Don't live in the past. Yes, things have happened in the past, but don't live in the past. Move into the future. Number 11, Love your family. Love your family. We learned on one side that you know, David messed up in his relationship with his family. He suffered tremendously at the hands of his family. His father-in-law King Saul hounded him incessantly. His son Absalom drove him out of Jerusalem. But David made sure you know, that he did not harm them. He showed love to them. You know, in fact, in fact, even while you know, he was pursued by Absalom's soldiers, so David instructed his warriors, Be gentle with this son. Be gentle with this son of mine. And when he finally heard that he was dead, he mourned for them very, very much. You know, yes, there was on one side a love for his family, but on the other hand, the love did not really show so much in correction. you know, And that is where he made the mistake. Number 12. Use your resources wisely. Use your resources wisely. When uh, he was camped outside of Jerusalem, fearing attack from his son Absalom, David was joined by his friends and followers. And uh, among them was a guy called Kushai, who was an old and wise guy. But you know, he knew, David knew that this guy is old, he's not going to be of much help in the army. So he suggests that he goes to back to Jerusalem and infiltrate you know, Absalom's you know, a group you know, and that really helped. So here was a resource, he was an old guy, he couldn't have been of much help in the army but he could have been used as an infiltrator. Because, you know, he was so close to David and once he has cross-eyed, there was more of an opportunity to know what the the schemes or the plans of Absalom. Use your resources wisely. 13. Be a loyal friend. Be a loyal friend. David and Jonathan, good friends, good friends. Unlikely pair, you know, definitely. Because on one side, you know, Jonathan is Saul's son. He could have been the king, but God has said David has to be the king. You know, Jonathan is not upset with that, and they are good friends. Blood runs thicker than water, but friendship is even deeper than blood. So we need to treasure our friends and treat them with loyalty and de- devotion. Finally, number fourteen, it's never too late. It's never too late. Yes, you remember we learned about Joab, you know he gave and gave and gave and and knowing all that he was doing he didn't take any steps at that particular time but you know right at the end on his deathbed giving final instructions to Solomon David asked him to make sure that Joab will ultimately be punished for his numerous acts of treachery it is never too late to make amends it is never too late to right the wrong it is never too late to come back in repentance before God and say, Lord, I have sinned. So this evening, as we look at the life of uh, David in a nutshell, let's ask ourselves, where do we stand? What are the choices that we have made which show that our heart is right with God? Is our heart soft and sensitive to sin? Is our heart's desire is to do that which pleases God? Is our choices every day with that filter around? Lord, I want to do that which pleases you. And if that's our heart's desire, our actions are matching up to that, then when we finish the race that God has given to us and we meet him face to face, we could definitely hear from him his well done. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer together this evening.